Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Series today called God of Promise. Some of y'all been enjoying this series, and uh, I'm not going to do a big recap today, but I do want to recap our our theme verse for the series. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. If you will declare this with me, let us hold tightly. Come on, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. One more time. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Aren't you grateful for that? Well, we've been doing this series called The God of Promise. And we're talking about the theme of God's promises through individuals throughout the scripture. We've talked about the Edemic Coven that that happened uh, with Adam and Eve. We talked uh, about the Noahic Covenant. And last week we talked about the Abrahamic Covenant and how that is God's covenant for his people, his representatives on the earth. In fact, even still today, God has grafted us into what is called the Abrahamic covenant, not because you're a physical descendant, but because in Christ you can be a spiritual descendant of Abraham, and all the promises that belong to Abraham belong to us. Now, the story, the narrative of of Abraham is he has a son. That was part of God's promise. His name was Isaac, and then he has a grandson who is named Jacob, right? Y'all remember Jacob? We did a series last year called Striver, and we talked about Jacob, and Jacob's name, after he strived with God, was changed to Israel. And, and this is, would be the nation that God would raise up his people. And so the children of Israel um, would would experience a, a lot of difficulties and the world would experience a lot of difficulties. So, so one of uh, Israel's sons, Jacob, Israel's sons, was named Joseph. And God had had incredible favor on Joseph. And Joseph ends up under the greatest empire of the world uh, through just a series of, we'll do a series one time on Jacob, but but uh, I'm sorry, Joseph, and, and just through a series of God's favor on his life and, and some rejection from men, God places him in a unique position where he is serving under Pharaoh, the greatest empire of the world. And he actually becomes second in charge and everything that, that was under the rule of Egypt was actually under the hand of Joseph. Now, this isn't Joseph, Joseph and Mary Joseph. This is, this is the Joseph of the, the, the son of Israel. And so Joseph, it raises up, and then there's a famine in the land and an economic downfall. So all the people of the earth are going to Egypt because of Joseph's wisdom in order to deal with their finances, really what it is. And so the children of Israel over that time actually become enslaved because they're in debt to the, the, the empire of Egypt. And so eventually Joseph dies and they forget about it. And so now that the people have no link, they have all their history has been forgotten about and all the children of Israel are, are growing. The be fruitful and multiply thing is happening, right? The descendants from Abraham, it's happening. And so as, as this happens, a Pharaoh rises up and he says, you know what? These people are, are growing in number. And if we don't do something about it, then we're going to have, they're going to take over and we'll, we'll become their slaves. And so what he does is he gives a decree in the land. He says, you know what we need to do? We need to get rid of the babies. 
We need to get rid of all the male babies. So he puts an order out to all the slaves, the children of Israel who have been under slavery for hundreds of years. And he says, I want, I want you to go and get their babies and throw them in the Nile River and they will die. But there was a family. Oh, come on. There was a family that was in that from the tribe of Levi. And Levi is the priesthood family, the tribe, which would be the family line of Levi. And so Levi, uh, the, the, these parents from, from the clan of Levi, they have a son. And they said, we don't, we, don't we don't want them to get our son. So they take their son and they put him in a basket and they put him in the Nile River, but in a basket. And he's protected among the reeds. I mean, you know that God always has a plan. And so here's this baby in the reeds, and then Pharaoh's daughter is out there bathing or something outside, and she sees this baby in the river in a basket with no mama around, and she says, that's got to be one of, the, one of the Israelites' kids, so I'm going to pull him out. And, and his name actually means to draw out. So she said, I'm going to draw him out. And that's what she named him, Moses. Moses means to draw out. So she said, uh, she pulled him out and she begins to raise him in Pharaoh's court. And, and just God just supernaturally uses his birth mother to, to help raise him and to nurture him. And so Moses is raised in the house, just like Joseph was, in the house of Egypt, in the, in the royal empire of Egypt. Well, he sees some of his people being abused one day. And they were abusing the slave and he kills the guy that's abusing the slave. And so he flees for his life, and he takes off to this land called Midian, right? Now, check out this scripture. Why did that happen? Why, why did this happen? This is why it happened. Not just because it happened, it was a circumstance. It was because God had a plan. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 says that God heard their groaning. God heard the groaning of the children of Israel. God heard their groaning, and he remembered. Here it is. And he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham Isaac and Jacob. And he looked down on the children of Israel and he knew it was time to act. So God looked and he said, it's time. So he raises up Moses. He put, draws Moses out of Egypt. And now he's going to not just draw Moses out of a Nile and out of the empire of Egypt. He's actually going to use Moses to draw the children of Israel out. And so he goes to this land. He's fleeing for his life. And he goes to this land called Midian and Several years pass, and he has, develops a family there. And as he's out shepherding sheep, he sees a fire in the distance. And it's on a bush, but the bush isn't burning up, and it's just burning. And so he, he walks, and he's like, oh, I wonder what that is. And he goes over there to check it out, and he hears a voice. And it's God. And he said, Moses. Some of y'all need to go and watch uh, The Prince of Egypt. It's phenomenal. They do a really great job. It's a, probably Netflix it or something. It's a cartoon, but it's, it's the best story. And so this bush, and he says, Moses, take off your shoes for the ground that you're standing. And he's like, whoa, what's happening? And, he, and this is what God says. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God who remembers pro promises. You know what? Pharaoh forgot, but God remembered. And I'm the God, and I'm here to reestablish through you, Moses, what I promised Abraham, and I'm going to use you to preserve that covenant that I made with your ancestors. And so Moses goes, and you know the story, he goes and he declares all these plagues to come against Egypt, let my people go, and then all this, you know, tragedy falls on uh, Pharaoh's house and on, on the empire of Egypt, and finally after all this, like, wrath and all these crazy judgments from God, they finally release the people, and the people cross 
over the Red Sea, and they go into the desert, right? You guys remember, 40 years in the desert. Now, God's plan wasn't they would have been, wasn't that they would be in the, in, in the desert for 40 years. God's plan for them to go to the desert was for one thing, to make a covenant with them. He's like, I want you to go out to the desert. I'm going to meet with you on this mountain. You're going to get that covenant, and then you're going to go possess the land. But because they had doubters, they had people that wouldn't trust God's goodness, what ends up happening is a generation has to be purged to receive the promise. Come on, what needs to be purged in your life to, to see the promise? And so Moses is here, and God says, I want you to come up to the mountain. I'm going to, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. And it says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, that Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Here we go. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. God's saying, listen, I'm still in covenant with the children of Israel. I'm still in covenant with Jacob. I'm still in covenant with Abraham, right? That covenant didn't end. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me, and here it is. Here's the stipulation. If, if you will obey me and keep my commandments you will be my own special treasure. You're not my special treasure, but if you obey me, you will be. For among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom. I love this language, my. My kingdom of priests and my holy nation. This is the message that you must give to who? The children of Israel. So we call this the Mosaic covenant that he's going to lay out, which the Ten Commandments are part of that. But it's not just to Moses. Some people call it the Sinai covenant. It's actually the covenant with the children of Israel. Did you know that it wasn't a global covenant? It was a covenant for a specific people, the children of Israel, God's special people. And if you keep all the regulations, you can be one of my people. This this was the condition. And so he gives uh, Moses this incredible law, and it's all throughout. In fact, in, in some places, it's called the Book of the Covenant, where there's all these laws, over 613 laws for the children of Israel. In, in that is, is the moral law, right, the moral code, and that's the civil law, like how to, how to run a government, how to, how to be nice to one another, what to do in court, all those kind of things. And then there's the ceremonial law, which what the ceremonial law was is that was a built-in law because God knew that they would break the moral law and God knew that they would break the civil law. So God said, well, I better set up a system because I know they're jacked up. So I'll set up a system, a built-in system full of laws so that they can come and be right with me because they're going to break those laws. God knew it. God knew that there was something messed up from the beginning. And he gives them the great Ten Commandments, right? We're pretty familiar with the Ten Commandments. We could do a series on the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments, understand this, the Ten Commandments were already moral laws before they were written on a stone. Do you understand this, right? It was already wrong to kill somebody, right? It was already, it was already wrong to have other gods before God. It was already wrong to commit adultery, right? All these things were already wrong. But what God is emphasizing here first is he's saying, I'm the priority, right? Love the Lord your God, right? Now, I have no other gods before me, right? I want to be the priority. I need to be the priority. I'm signing this contract. I'm signing this covenant. I need to be the priority. Have no other gods before me. So in Egypt, man, they had all kinds of gods. And God said, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be different. No other gods. I'm the only one. Then he, then he says, don't misuse my name. Why, why is that so important to God? Don't misuse my name. 
right? We think that just means using the Lord's name in vain, but we do it a lot of other ways, right? Some people call themselves a Christian and don't live like a Christian. Guess what you're doing? You're using the Lord's name in vain, right? Basically, what God, God is saying is, listen, that is my covenant name. This is the name that I've given you to sign that contract. This is my covenant name. So don't misrepresent me or misappropriate my name. So you need to be careful. There needs to be some weight when you say the name Jesus. And there needs to be some, some weight when you use the name God. I'm far more offended when I watch something and they use Jesus Christ as a slang word than I am when they use the F word. Why? Because his name is holy. That, that name has a purpose. So careful. Careful using that name. Then he gives us what's called the Sabbath, which the Sabbath was already in place, right? It was in the book of Genesis we see the Sabbath. So God's saying, hey, listen, just to remind you, keep the Sabbath. Make it holy. And this ends up being the longest of all the commands. Interesting because it's based on rest. And then he gives... These, the, the other Ten Commandments that are basically protecting people, protecting family with adultery, the honoring your father and mother. What is that? That's protecting family because in those days it was oral tradition. So God's like, listen, this covenant is important. So you need to honor your parents because if it's going to last hundreds of years, you need to honor the people that are passing it down to you. They didn't have like the Internet where they could just Google. Well, what does the law say? So God's saying protect family. He's saying protect uh, the reputations of others, right? Don't bear false witness. We say don't lie, but it's bigger than that. Did you know when you share a blog or a, an article that's, that, that's false, fake news, did you know that you're bearing false testimony? Because you're, testi you're saying something is true that's not. So do your research. That's why I'm very careful about just reposting something because I like because I can chime in with it and amen. Do, do I know it's true? Is it accusing a person? I want to make sure that I'm not I'm not giving out false accusations. Right? And then he talks about, you know, property and and don't steal. Don't don't take what somebody else has worked for. And then he says, don't covet. Don't compare yourself to what somebody else has and desire. And it's so easy in a social media world, right, to where we, we look at somebody else's Instagram and we're like, I want that life. What is that? That's covetousness. It means that you're not content with what God has given you. So God lays all this out. Why is he doing this? Because he's saying, listen, I want to remind you, these are already good things. I want to remind you, these things are important to me. These are moral issues, right? Murder is a moral issue. It's, a, it's an American issue because it's a moral issue. Do you understand? And we should have laws in place that protect life at every level. Come on. From the womb to from what a police officer is delegating. We need to have it everywhere. Those, those justices need to be in there, right? Because God loves justice. So I want to talk for a little bit about the shadow of the law. Today we're talking about the shadow and the light. So shat, the shadow of the law, Hebrews 10, 1 says, the law was only a shadow of the good things that were coming. So a lot of people have made their faith, their life about this law. Some people call it the Levit Levitical law was really the ceremonial law. But they say it's really about the law of Moses, the law of God, the law of God. And they had this emphasis. But the law, listen, the law is a shadow. That's all it is. It was a shadow for God. See, the, the thing is this, is the law had a problem. The Mosaic law had a problem. It's not that it wasn't good. In fact, Psalms tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It wasn't that the law was good. The problem was is that, that people are bad. 
So the law was good, but the people were bad, and the law was contingent upon people obeying the law. So it was broken. It's messed up. Broken literally by the choices of people, but also broken because it's, it's a, it has so much weight on people's ability to keep it. Are you tracking? And so it had a problem. And it has a stipulation in Deuteronomy 28. Basically, it teaches if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. Right? You do good things, good things will happen to you. You do bad things, bad things will happen to you. Well, that's true, reaping and sowing. But he's like, listen, if you don't keep every jot and tittle, if you don't keep, if you don't write these things in front of you, you're not continually looking at the law going, am I performing, am I performing, am I performing, and perform those things, you'll live under a curse. And like you and like me, if that was where we are living now, we're all cursed because we're all breaking them. You say, well, not me. I'm a good person. Do you love the Lord with all of your heart? I know you say it, but your complete total heart, is it completely devoted to him? Uh, Come on, Sergio. You'll go, oh, no, no, no. I fail miserably. I don't really love God with all my mind. In fact, most of the time I'm thinking about myself. Most of the time I'm putting me first. So the law had this problem because it was rooted in people's performance. Although it's about the goodness of God. So when God was giving the covenant to the people, listen, some, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't. I think it's good. I think it's good to have the Ten Commandments somewhere. But we make such a big deal about, let's just destroy the Ten Commandments. Because, you know, look, look, don't let them destroy. They're going to take down the Ten Commandments. They're going to say, people aren't keeping them anyway. I mean, why are you making such a big deal and be a mean spirit about it? I'm not, I'm not voting. I'm voting to keep them there because I, I, believe, I believe it's important to value God's word. But listen, don't make such a big deal when somebody wants to take it down because they're breaking all that stuff anyway. And Jesus said, you're probably breaking it in your heart because it doesn't work to have a list to live by. It works to have a heart that's transformed. And if your heart's transformed, you'll fulfill the list. And so they have... This, this, this law, and then when Moses is up there getting it, guess what's happening? The children of Israel building golden calves. I mean, the new had wore off before it was new. It's like, the, you know, it's like you wrecked a car before you got it home. Right? There was no way in keeping these, you know, roughly 613 laws. But within these laws, there was built in a system, Right? a ceremonial system to deal with it when you broke it because we break it. And so you would have what's called the priesthood. Well, what was, where did Moses come from? The tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi is the priesthood. God said, I'm going to use that tribe. They'll be my priests. And so Moses is actually not just a prophet. We call him a prophet, but Moses is a priest prophet because he's from the tribe of Levi. This is the reason why he's able to go into the temple. Whereas other people that, you know, that weren't, well, and he was from the tribe of Levi. That's why. But the reason why he could go in is because he had that, that priesthood on his life. He was born into it. So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Everybody say, but now. So when you see that, you like, that's the way it was, but now. Look, but now Jesus, our high priest. Is Moses your high priest? No. He was the children of Israel's. Tracking? Who's your high priest now? Not the Pope. Jesus, not your pastor, Jesus. Jesus is your priest, right? So Jesus, a priest is basically a representative of God. That's all it is. Either a representative of the people to God or God to the people, which is usually a prophet role. And he says, but Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry. Look, 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 look. If, if you struggle with this, just read Hebrews. It'll clean it all up. Is a far superior 
has given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one that mediates for us a far better covenant with God. Based on what? Better promises. It's based on better promises. And one of the promises is, is you don't have to perform all the time. Get off the stage. Stop performing so hard. All right. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Why did God replace the old covenant? Because it was full of fault. The fault was with the people. When God found fault with the people, that's why it was messed up. He said, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the old one that I gave their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. (laughs) Yeah. So why turn my back on them? Some of you are living like that. You think because you messed up this week that God's turned his back on you. That's old covenant thinking. God's God's not turning his back on you. He, he's, he's trying to get in front of you wherever, whatever direction he's going. Hey, listen, I'm right here. Look, look, look at me. Look at me. But this is the new covenant I will make with the, the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts. The, the Sinai covenant was written on stone. The new covenant is written on hearts. It's written on mind. It's written on your conscience. Right? That's why that tenderness flows from you when you see someone that's hurting. It's the Spirit of God in you that's doing that. I will write it upon their hearts and they will be, I will be their God. Here it is. And they will be my people. The old covenant said, if you obey, you'll be my people. If you obey, if you obey, if you obey. And God says in this one, I'm going to write it on, my, on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Not according to keeping a list but by functioning in relationship. Are you tracking? So the law was had a problem. And the law served a time and a purpose. We're so grateful for the law. Because the law preserved God's people. The law was set in place to provide the way for the Messiah, Jesus. The law was put in place to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham. The law was put in place as a placeholder to fulfill what God promised to Adam in the garden. He's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head. You'll strike his heel. You'll put him in the cross, but he's going to crush you. Galatians 3, 23. The law served a common purpose. Before the coming of this faith. There it is again. Before. Now he's saying before the coming of this faith. We were held in custody under the law. Uh Uh-oh. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Until. You'll see the language here. So the law was our guardian. If you got your Bible, it might say schoolmaster or teacher or tutor. The law was our schoolmaster, our guardian, until. Until. It's not your guardian anymore. Until Christ came, it was. Now that is, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. Yeah. 
So what is all this guardian talk? So in those days, affluent people would have like a someone that lived with them to raise their kids. They would school their children. They would take care of their children. They were a guardian, right? You guys, some of y'all might have been raised by a guardian. They weren't actually your parent, but it was someone that was put in supervision over your life until one day you could be an adult on your own. Until you could, until there was a time came until you could do things on your own, right? That's why we had this spirit of adoption right because we were we were kind of in foster care by the law but when Jesus came he rescued you from the foster care system thank God for it but he rescued you from it and he brought you into full sonship come on are you tracking so the, the, the law was put in place for a specific time for a specific purpose what was the purpose to train the people to prepare the people so the Messiah might come uh, Romans 5 says this, 5.20 basically teaches that the law was there to show us how messed up we were, to show us how sinful we were. Why was God wanting to show us how sinful we were? Because God has a Messiah. And the only way you need a Savior is if you need saving, right? Because some people are like, I don't really need Jesus, so you don't get Jesus because you don't realize you're blind and pitiful and wretched and broken. You think you're right with God, and he's going, look at the law. You're not doing very good. So the law was put in an effect to to make people realize how much they needed God to please God. You can't please God on your own. You need God to please God. Y'all okay? I know this is a little bit deep for some of you. Just hold with me. How long was it? How long was it in place for? You know, people are like, well, what parts of the law of Moses do we have to keep? None as it pertains to the law of Moses. But there are certain things in there you're going to do because they're moral things. You're not going to kill people. You're not going to commit adultery. Why? Because those are immoral things. They were laws before the law. They were laws before the law. The Sabbath, a law before the law. It's a moral thing. So when was it fulfilled? When Jesus shows up. And he goes, I didn't come to abolish the law. It's great. It's great. It's, it's provided the way. I didn't, I didn't come to say it's null and void and was it good. But guess what? It's covenant has been fulfilled. Yes. I'm here to sign the new documents. Yes. If you went and you refinanced your house, you were in no obligation to the old contract of your house. You've got a new one, right? It might have some of the same things that the old one has in it. But, but as in regard to the old covenant, you have no obligation to keep it as it pertains to the covenant. Only the things that are universal in that covenant that you need to keep anyway. Because someone's like, which ones, which ones? You're, you're, you're still missing it because you still think that you have to perform and perform and perform. And God's saying, I want to be in relationship. I want to lead you, not by a list, but through connection. I want to be in your heart. I want you to receive my Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean you'll be more moral that way because Jesus said, you're, yeah, you didn't kill anybody, but you have hate in your heart. Guess what? You're guilty of murder. So the new covenant, in a lot of ways, on the moral standard, listen, on the moral standard, the new covenant is higher. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Check this. Hebrews 8.13. Well, how much is fulfilled in Jesus? All of it. Fully filled. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Completely filled, right? Hebrews 8.13. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means the first one is obsolete. It's not an effect. It's now out of date. 
So the law of Moses is a beautiful shadow, but it's out of date. It's an out of date shadow. Another thing about the law is this, the law had a sign. Everybody say a sign. You know, all, all the covenants have a sign, right? We have the rainbow with Noah, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. With Abraham, we have circumcision. That's really awkward. And then we have with Adam, we see the skin, right? So when they look at those things, they say, God, God can be trusted to keep his promises. So within the law, God says the, the covenant, the, the sign of the covenant will be the Sabbath. This is what he says, Exodus 31, 12. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath. For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It's the longest of the Ten Commandments. Why? Because God is wanting to teach us something that it's really about rest. It was, it was prophetically speaking of Jesus. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Not keeping the regulations who make you holy. The Lord is the one that makes you holy. And some of you think you're holy or unholy because of what you did. No, it's the Lord that makes you holy. Well, how did he make you holy? By you keeping the law? No, because of Jesus. You're holy because of Jesus. It's the only way to get holy, actually. Because you ain't going to keep that whole law. So the Sabbath, when we talk about the Sabbath, that word Shabbat in the Hebrew, you're pretty good on that one. Shabbat. Shabbat. I'm sound like more like anointed when I say Shabbat. Means to stop, re- to rest, to stop or cease from work. And when we look at it in Genesis, remember God creates everything and on the seventh day, what did he do? He Sabbathed. Why? God, God doesn't need to rest. He we know scriptures tell us that God doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get tired. God, I was just created so much. Oh, any angels. Well, I'm wore out. No, it's because God got to that day and he wants to pause and he wants to look back and go, look. Remember at the end of every day, what did he say? It's good. So at that Sabbath, he looked back and he goes, oh, it's so good. Look at all I created. Look at all that came out of my heart. Look, look what I displayed. So the Sabbath is more than just rest. It's actually reflection. The Sabbath is a time that we can go back. So for me, like we have, we have Fridays. And I used to, I used to have this weird thing on uh, that I hated my day off. It was my least favorite day of the week because I felt like I wasn't accomplishing anything. And the reason is, is because I was only ceasing. I wasn't reflecting, right? I wasn't remembering the Lord during that time. I was just going, well, I got the day off. I really need to do something. I really need to do something. I really need to do something. Is anybody else like that? Is anybody else just like laborious? That's me. I'm, I'm with you. I'm there. I break it. And so we've been very intentional. Friday's my day off. So if you text me, if you need something, I'm going to be pretty sure I'll be there for you. I'll I'll honor the Lord that way, but it'll be brief. Right? If you're hurting, I'll be there for you. I'll cry with you. Whatever I need to do. But understand that that is a day that's set apart. Why? Just to stop working? No, so I can sit back and I can go look at how God has blessed me. Look at the goodness of God. Look what the Lord and I had together have done this week, right? We, we partnered together and now we look back and we go, God, you're so good. And some of you are so wore out because you don't know how to stop. You're so wore out because you don't know how to look back and just enjoy, listen, enjoy the Sabbath. And what, what happened in, in Jesus' day, they were so caught up on, on the rest part, but not the enjoyment part. They were like, you got, you don't, don't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Of course I'm going to do something good. It's restful for me to do something good. It's more than restful. It's enjoyable. Oh, well, you get the joy of Jesus on healing. He enjoyed healing people. So on the Sabbath, he only did things that he enjoyed. Because it's not just about stopping. It's about enjoying. It's a time to look back and reflect and remember and enjoy what has been done. And beloved, it is critical to your health. God made you to be a person of reflection. I know that sounds boring to you. Some of you younger people are like, oh my gosh, I have to like put on a monocle and like, no, you just need to go, man, God, you're so good. You need to have a time where you just reset, refresh, remember the goodness of God. It's so critical. And, I, and I'm so much more healthy now that I, now that I, I protect that. Pastor Leslie, I've had conversations. She's like, why are you so like? I'm like, because it's it's a holy, it's a holy time. It's a set-apart time of God, God commanded me to do this. God gave me this pattern to do this. And see how much more healthy I am now? I ain't gonna lie. Preaching's my favorite. It's my favorite thing. But my favorite day now is the day of rest. Because on my day of rest, I can look back at when I preached that past week and I can go, man, look what God's doing. I just get to see the goodness of God. I get to see the, the miracles that happen in this house. And I just get to reflect, and there's no grind to it. It's just enjoyment. And so, so many times, we get into this thing with God to where it's it's perform, 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 perform. God will be happy if I perform well. He'll be angry if I don't perform well. Right? It's all about works. It's all about works. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, get this. The priests were really the workers for the kingdom, right? They were working the presence of God. So, under the old covenant, the priest, Moses, remember, Levite, the priest stands and ministers before the Lord, the altar, day after day. Get this. Day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again. Right? Don't you love that? A, a day after day, again after again. And it says this, which can take away no sin. Like they're just spinning their wheels, just working on We're doing work for the Lord. We're just doing it for God. Work, 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 work. Just doing stuff for God. And he's going, I want you to enjoy my work. Could never take away sin. Some of you work because you think it'll get you ground in God. It won't. You can't work that hard. What you can do is you can trust. There's something better than working in the kingdom of God. It's called faith. The faith produces works. You get the faith part right, you won't have to worry about your works. So the high priest offered himself to God as, but we have our high priest. Again, our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice. In other words, he don't have to do it day after day. Jesus doesn't have to go and die on the cross again because you screwed up. He already did it. He already paid for it. One sacrifice, four sins, for all time. And this is what he does. I love it. This is what he does. He dies on the cross. He deals with the sin. He rises from the dead. He ascends to the Father. Physical Jesus with and earlobes. Jesus in heaven is sitting down. What is he doing? He's going, I worked. I put the work in. And now I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy what I did. And I'm going to enjoy calling. I'm going to enjoy Sarah. I'm going to enjoy the work that I put in. Beloved, will you enjoy the work that Jesus put in? See, we can't do anything to add to the work that Jesus did. We can simply enjoy the benefits. And Christianity in the New Covenant is all this, enjoying 
the work that Jesus put in. What do I, what is, what is, when were they asked Jesus, what is the work that God requires us to do? What do we have to do to get God to like us? And you know what he said? Believe in the one that he has sent. Believe that the Sabbath is set before you. So Jesus is sitting and it says in verse 13, there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Until all the the victory in your life is transpiring. For by that one offering, here it is, by that one offering, he made perfect. He forever made perfect. It's not temporary. You can't screw it up. Your bad choices can't mess it up. It says this, he made forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Those that are being set apart. Those that are his prized possessions. Come on, those royal priesthood. See, hustling won't make you holy. Enjoying what Jesus did will make you holy. And some of you think that God is so pleased and impressed with your hustle. You'll never out-hustle Jesus. The new covenant is not rooted in good works. It's rooted in good news. And the good news is the work has already been put in. The work has already been put in. And the law, the last thing that the law does is the law involves a people. Remember that language. My own personal treasure. My people, they belong to me. I, I read this week that it was explaining this verse, and, and uh, the, the commentator made this statement. He said, it's like the world is God's ring, and his prized possession is the jewel that sits in that ring. That we are that prized possession. He says this, my kingdom of priests my holy nation. What is, what is he saying? My, well, that's weird. I'm a nation of priests. Yes. What is a, a priest? A priest is an, an, a, a mediator, a representative. Yeah. Right? What is a kingdom? It's the king's dominion. Not my dominion, but his dominion. But I am a king expanding the dominion, expanding the reign of Jesus. Royal dominion, representatives. And then he says this holy. What does holy mean? Does that mean that you didn't You know, you kept your language clean this week, right? Or you paid your taxes on time? No, holy means that you're set apart for a purpose. That's what it means. Well, you're so holier than out. Yeah, I am. I mean, I'm just set aside for God's purpose. It's not because I performed well. It's just because I said I'm reserved for God. I'm reserved for God. Right? Set aside for purpose, a holy purpose nation so basically what he's saying he's like they're my people they are set aside representing the god of covenant on the earth by advancing the dominion by his dominion on the earth let me say that again a people set aside representing the god of covenant on the earth by advancing his dominion that's what it means to be a holy nation see the mosaic covenant was a covenant with israel the new covenant is for those that are in Christ. So how do I get into the covenant? How do you get into the new covenant? You be in him. You got to get in him, get in him to get in on it. That means that you have to trust Jesus with your life. That means you must believe in the one that God has sent. One more scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are chosen. I love that he uses the same language that was in the law. You are chosen people. 
You're picked. God chose you. It's such a good news. This is so good news that God looked at me. I think about when I was 18 years old. I was a hypocrite. I've been going to church for two years, and I was that Christian. So hypocritical. So double-lifed. And I look back in 19, the springtime of 1993, and I look back. And I go, man, God looked at me, and he said, I want you, Josh Brown. I want you. Oh, but a God like that would want a jacked-up man like me. He said, you are a royal priesthood. You're not some sinner saved by grace. No, you're royalty. You represent me. You're a holy nation. You're set apart for me. You're my possession. And as a result, because of that, because of that, because he picked us, because he set us apart, it says this, he called you out of the darkness, out of the shadows, out of the place of darkness, and he brought you into the light. The kingdom of his son, Jesus, he brought you in. And he said, you're 